I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Ozzabiz Live from our Barangaroo studios. I'm David Kosh. You have tuned into the call 10 stocks that you'd like our expert panel to run their eye over. And uh, one of my favourite teams on the panel today, let's bring them straight in because they've always got a lot to say. We've run out of time and we don't <laughs> want to run out of time today. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm well, you Koshy. Well? I'm always happy to be back. Yeah, yeah. And he... Michael was telling me he's feeling optimistic, things falling into place. Carl Capalinga from Think Markets from over west is with us as well. Have you got a spring in your step like Michael Wayne has got? Absolutely, yeah. Look, I'm I'm a bull, bull in a bull market, so it's a great place to be at the moment. I know it looks a bit a little a little a little low key over here in Australia. The index really doesn't tell the story of, I think, a growing number of opportunities uh, beneath the surface there. But a lot of the work I do also with clients is in the USA, Koshi, and we've just right. got some great, great um, trades going over there. Yes. Um, I do, uh, a newsletter out of the US that uh, I follow closely uh, put a great chart up of uh, the Magnificent Seven and mm. how they're doing, and then the rest of the S&P 500 yeah. and the and the uh, and the 250, and there's a massive gap between the two. So it's pretty selective, Carl, is it? Well, you no, know, it's broadening. Is, yeah. is it no, widening? It's breadth. Absolutely. Yes. Utilities 100%. and transports have had a bit of a kick up the last couple of weeks too, haven't they? Yeah, watch the Russell 2000. That's the key market. That's your small cap market. That's sort of the heartbeat ah. of corporate America. Right. And that's really starting to turn up on the chart. I know the NASDAQ's gone gangbusters. Yeah. But even if you look at some of the equal weight indices, so taking out the impact of those big ones and sort of democratizing your indices, saying that everybody gets the same weighting, those are starting to go up as well. So I know I think we're, we're looking pretty good. And Michael, you're pleased with the economy, aren't you, that it's falling into place? I think the economy, look, if you gave us this scenario 18 months ago, you probably would have taken it, whereby the economy had held up relatively well, inflation had started to moderate, even the core numbers now starting to, you know, slowly but surely come down. You've had a change of rhetoric from central banks where they're now in pause mode, looking at the data to come. So I think the economy's been fairly resilient. Obviously, interest rates have been ratcheted up very quickly. But it does appear now that we're reaching the, the you know the crescendo of that interest rate cycle. Um, obviously, the, you never know for sure, and there's a lot of uncertainty going forward. But I think we would have taken this scenario, and I do think that you know if if, if the valuations in the US are a little bit more inflated than Australia, um, Australia's FY24 earnings forecasts are looking pretty bearish relative to the rest of the market uh, and the rest of the global economy. Um, and global markets. However, you've got to strip out different sectors. There was yeah. obviously a big tailwind for commodities and energy and things like that last year. That's not going to be right. there going forward. But we are getting um, definitely more optimistic than we've been in the last sort of mm. six months oh, or so. Time. The problem with that is prices have definitely increased for certain businesses. But in Australia, there's still you know a lot of good yeah. opportunities, we think. Hopefully, the inflation, we follow the global inflation rate down. I just have a bit of a bit of an issue with July figures. I think they could be a stumbling block because of all of those price increases that uh, came in on July 1. Hopefully that doesn't occur. Um, look, uh, this half hour, we're going to take a look at Hub24. You want us to do that, as with Syrup Resources, Terracom, Woolworths and Viva Leisure. And I uh, can imagine Carlos salivating with some of the charts of, uh, of those stocks. Uh, stock of the day, thought we'd take a look at Macquarie. I haven't looked at Macquarie for a, a little while. The big four banks come up pretty regularly. Um, Morgan Stanley's analyst, uh, Andrew Stadnick, says um, the firm is going overweight 
on uh, Macquarie Bank with a price target of $215, uh, while expecting a subdued first quarter 24 AGM update as several large asset sales are uh, offsetting soft commodity and capital markets, slower mortgage growth. He says Macquarie is well-placed to deliver upgrades as this financial year unfolds, given improving outlook for key drivers. Um, Michael, a, a really bullish um, sort of forecast on Macquarie Bank. Do you agree with Morgan Stanley? Yes, so Macquarie is one we actually added to our managed fund a few weeks ago, around 175, 180 marks. Yep. So look, we're not um, expecting it to take off in the short term, as you can see from the chart there, it's been range bound for some time, but we do think that the last 12 months from Macquarie have been challenging. Um, you've had obviously subdued capital markets. Even in the first half of this year, the commodities business has quietened down a lot with a lot less volatility in a lot of those core commodities as well as energy. Um, however, on an improving outlook, looking out sort of 20, FY 2024 and calendar year 2024, we think there's potential for Macquarie to start to resume um, oh. some, yeah, a bit of an okay. up, upward swing as some of those um, key business divisions, the outlook improves for them. Again, such as your, your capital markets, your trading business, your asset management business. Yeah. We think there's prospects for those businesses to really start to be net contributors again to Macquarie's earnings um, on a broader scale than they have been in recent years. So okay. we're optimistic on the outlook for Macquarie long term. But so in the you're, short you're term, buying around the 180? Yeah. So in the so short now. term, we're not expecting a huge amount, but on a more yeah. medium to longer term view, we're happy to, to buy Macquarie. Okay. All right. Uh, Carl, what do you think of Macquarie? Oh, are you on, are you on mute? There. Sorry, there sorry, Koshi. Yep. Not sure how that happened, but uh, look, I was just about to say I'm a little bit ho hum on Macquarie. It's look, I, I said at the start, I'm a bull in a bull market, and you know Macquarie does well in bull markets. So on that basis, you know, I can see why you might start looking at it around now. Uh, interesting, you mentioned uh, this con uh, this uh, research notes come from Morgan Stanley. Now, they reported their quarterly earnings last night with a big beat. They were up six percent. Uh, you know similar businesses in many ways. Um, Goldman Sachs also rallying really well. JP Morgan also rallying really well. So we are seeing some of these sort of asset managers, uh, financial services businesses in the US start to do well. A lot of Macquarie's business is in the US. So look, I can see sort of uh, more, more tailwinds then headwinds on the basis that I think um, equity markets, uh, risk markets are going to be fairly buoyant over the next 12 to 18 months. And nobody knows the future, of course. Um, the valuation is about fair. I mean, literally trading on a PE of 14, which is about the five-year historical average. So nothing to see there. Um, the chart is looking okay. It's looking quite fair. Plenty of support around that 170 to 165 level. As long as it stays above that, I think people who own Macquarie can certainly hold it. As for buying it, look, I'm a momentum buyer. I mean, you can see in the chart there, that's a great chart, actually. We'll leave that chart on screen. You can just see how flat it's been over the last 18 months. Um, so I haven't seen a great deal of reason to be in Macquarie. If it starts to break above 195, I can certainly start to see the momentum coming back in. But until then, I'm happy holding. Okay, all right. But let's keep that chart up there. You're saying the last two years range bound, but between yep. sort of 160 One, and two, no, 150. 150, 150 and 211. That yeah. That's, that's yeah. $60 on a $180 yes. stock. If you got your timing right, you made 30%. Yes, if you got your timing right, and you have to. <laughs> well, you're you the king of the timing, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I'm, pr I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And if that's if that's you, if that's what you're trying to do, I recommend learning more about Japanese candlesticks right. because they are your short-term pinpoint sniper rifle technical right. analysis tools to tell you when something's turning right. off the top of so, the bottom. All right. So, so for those people. When I hear you say Japanese candlesticks, you're not yep. talking about buying shares in Dusk. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us what a Japanese candle is different to a white and a black candle. You're, yes, you're on the right track. So it's it's a way to represent the daily price range. So uh, probably on your on your um, your Think Markets platform or your Comsec platform or whatever you got, you might be using bars. It's just line. Yeah. What the, the, the yeah, and it, so what the candlestick does is it incorporates the opening price 
the closing price plus the high and low range as well. And, and then we're going to color the, the um, range between the open and the close, either white if the close is above the open, yeah. or black if the close is below the open. Right. Basically, look. To, hey, to where does simply, the Japanese one come in? Well, the, 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 uh, the, this idea, this concept was developed back in the late 1700s by a rice trader named Monohishu Homa, who, as the legend goes, became the richest man in the world, Koshi, using his methodology to trade rice futures. Wow. Um, so you could say it is a tried and true method. I love them. You know, this is you've seen my charts okay. on Twitter. This, this is so, all yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So a Japanese, uh, Japanese candles is the collected noun, if you like, for all the candles, is it? Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm glad I went there. Love a bit of trivia <laughs> like great. that. Um, so just a hold for you. So, I think it's a hold. Look, I okay. want to see some momentum come in. I think it could do in a bull, in a bull market, but let's see the chart pick up first. Okay. All right. Uh, Stephen wants a view, uh, Carl, on Hub24, the big uh, investment yep. platform in the sector with, with net wealth and the like. Yeah, a nice little segue, isn't it, from Macquarie Bank? Another stock yeah. that typically does well in a bull market. Obviously, when there are uh, when investment returns are up, it helps their funds under management. They obviously can earn uh, performance fees as well. J- just a rising market, we know Koshi drags in more money, more cash from the sidelines. Um, that fear of missing out, which I don't think we're far away from uh, feeling, and it's a good feeling as well for me, obviously, because you know I, I love it when prices are going up. So again, it's going to help their funds under management. They're doing really well. I mean, they are probably the highest rated, rated uh, platform out there. For viewers that don't know what they do, it's a platform for uh, financial advisors and financial planners to manage clients' investments and give them you know, a world of um, investing opportunities. There's also tax reporting, uh, client reporting, and a bunch of other sort of neat little stuff in there as well. Um, they're adding uh, advisors. They've done a big deal with equity trustees, I think it was off the top of my head, um, that should sort of underpin uh, their earnings growth going forward, which looks really good too. So uh, these are not my numbers. Thomson Reuters broker consensus numbers here. We're talking about a 24% compound annual growth rate in earnings over the next three years, Koshi, 24%. It's fantastic. The market average is probably, you know, the market's growing earnings 7, 8, 9%, 10% a good year, 24% over the next three years. Now that's their broker numbers, their estimates, anything can happen. So look, we want to see what we're going to pay for that growth. Now, the market average PE is about 15. Now, they're tra- this, this, these guys are trading on 40 times earnings. So it kind of start, you kind of start to see, oh, okay, you're not going to get a free lunch in the market, right? You're not going to pay market market PE, but 24 times. But then you have to sort of, sort of, sort of marry the two together and say, are you still getting a good deal? And I think there's more than enough growth there to justify that valuation. I've got a, a target on this at 31.87, which is a little bit more bullish than the broker target, the consensus broker target. Again, Thompson Reuters, not mine, 31, 37. Mm. So we're both seeing about 20% upside here. Um, so you got, you're looking at that, you go, okay, well, Carl, Carl loves business. He loves uh, the, the valuation. Uh, he must be calling it a buy. I'm not calling it a buy, unfortunately, because the chart's not quite there yet. Uh, right. in, if anything, the chart's very, very flat. So it's one I'll watch. It's, on, it's going on the watch list. I'll keep an eye on it. If it starts to push high, say around that sort of $28 mark, then I can see myself getting involved. But until then, a happy holder. Okay. Um, Michael, this time last week, uh, last Wednesday, uh, had Michael Gable and Josh Barker um, on net wealth came up. They both had a buy on net wealth. Uh, both preferred this in the sector, though. So Hub24 has been on our watch list for probably 12 yep. months. Um, it's a business that meets all the metrics looking at the balance sheet. Uh, yep. It's got those classic numbers that you're looking for, revenue growth, earnings growth, funds under management. So essentially all these independent platforms emerged in the last decade really. Yeah. Uh, historically- Really uh, took over from AMP. Yeah, like AMP, BT had a big platform, a <laughs> yeah. quarry wrap. But now with the emergence of a lot more independent financial advisors and planners, these platforms have been thriving and winning a lot of new funds under management. Um, Hub24 had an update I think just yesterday um, whereby they saw net inflows of 2.1 billion just for the June quarter. The market was underwhelmed by that. And mm. some of the commentary coming out of Hub24 was suggesting that a lot of their, their clients um, have a lot of term deposits that aren't sitting on platform 
because clients are, you know, they're not right. putting money into risk assets at the moment or over the last quarter they've been so cautious. Net, Net World had, had a better update, didn't they, about yeah. a week ago, two weeks ago? It, look, they're much of a muchness, but I think right. the market just received the Net Wealth update better. better. It was right. just because it came in slightly above expectations. Okay. That $2.1 billion for Hub24 underwhelmed expectations a little bit in terms of new money coming onto the platform. Mm. Uh, they had an increase in advisor numbers by 7%, and that's... A pretty good sort of leading indicator given that if you got more advisors on the platform it's likely they'll put more and more clients yeah. over time so from our standpoint this is a business we've had our eye on for a while we just haven't bought it yet because we're waiting for these sorts of updates and the annual report coming up in a, in a couple of months or right. in a month or so so happy to keep it as a hold on the watch right. list with a view to buying it so at the some update point. came out this update That's was okay not enough. It's just because the sentiment, I think, from the market at the moment is just a little bit wary that people are avoiding risk assets. There's parking more money in term deposits given the attractive alternative, given the interest rate environment. So that's slowing the growth that many people are expected to see for HubSpot. They do have this arrangement in place with equity trustees, and that's meant to be about $4 billion over the next, I think it's already been 18 months or so. So they'll probably get all of that through eventually. Right. Um, so there's a lot to like about a business like this. Very scalable, very high right. margins. I just want to see, like Kyle, that share price improving. And also, if they can come out with a very good update that exceeds expectations, then I think it's the market will jump off the back of that. But yes, at the moment, I think they've done away with their FUM guidance for the year. Uh, and that's probably concerned the market okay. to some degree. All right. Hey. Hey Koshi, just yeah. uh, I just had a just had a look at the net wealth chart. I like that chart. I think it looks really good actually. It's sort of a, a turnaround basing pattern. And if I had to pick, say, between you know your sort of your bull market uh, favourites, Macquarie Bank, Hub, or Net Wealth, I'd be buying a little bit of Net Wealth right here. Right. Okay, so it has turned, whereas mm-hmm. you're waiting for Hub Twenty Four to do the same thing. Exactly. Okay. We, right. we, we use net wealth. Um, it was a much of a muchness whether we went with net wealth or Hub Twenty Four as an advisor. Um, but yeah, very, both very good platforms, access right. to a lot of markets and different unlisted funds and equity right. markets, etc. Okay. Um, all right. Our second stock, speaking of disappointment, uh, Phil wants to view Michael on Sira Resources. Uh, they've got a graphite operation in Mozambique. They also have an anode material facility in the United States. Share price took a thumping in the last couple of days, didn't they? Because they were... Um, apparently the anode side mm. of, of the business isn't what everyone expected. So China basically dominates the anode space globally. Sira yeah. um, is trying to break into that part of the market. They've had been on a horrible run really now for the last, yeah, there you go, six months or so, really fallen away badly. Their Q2 quarterly activities report was horrible to, to say the least. Um, if you look at sort of the, the hardcore numbers, they basically had sales orders um, to Chinese anode customers being limited to 15. I don't even know what that KT, natural graphite, I don't know what that KT is abbreviated to. But basically, it's down from 41 in the previous quarter. Um, I think Carl will probably be able to help me on that one more specifically. But the whole thing is graphite is going to be a key input into the global electric vehicles space as that continues to to boom, but however, it's difficult when you're up against the Chinese who dominate that space and can right. sort of control the market to many degrees. Um, there is another one called Renescore in this space, a smaller business with Australian operations, which is getting close, I think, to a final investment decision. That could be another way to play it, given that Syria yeah. does have this integrated, vertically integrated business model and has exposure to that anode side of the business. Um, but for mine, I'm happy to give it a hold at the moment. Right. Uh, it is hard to give it a hold, not a sell, but I just do think that at some point there will be some recovery in this space. It's just difficult to work right. out when. But yeah, it's obviously higher risk and, and out of the yeah. businesses control many of the markets it operates in. Uh, Carl, Sarah, they've got, what, 100 million US dollars in the bank and a $150 million Australian dollar convertible note from Australian super. So they're cashed up. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, look, they're, they're, uh, and there's there's money coming in uh, from the sale of the anode materials. But as Michael said, I mean, Michael's summary was perfect. The, the big problem is China. It's the elephant in the room in terms of uh, the, the supply and also the pricing of, of uh, these products. So there's been substantial volatility in that market over the last really acutely over the last six to 12 months because of a lot of many of those um, EV subsidies over there in China have rolled off, which means we, we've seen a substantial decline in the demand for EVs within China. And um, as a little, little aside, we know that uh, that caused the big fall in lithium prices, if you remember, at the start yep. of the year. Yep. Um, so it's a similar situation here. And that probably explains we had it flash it very quickly there, the zero chart, okay, which is really, really struggling. So look, in the right market, under the right conditions, I think this can do well, but it's facing the opposite of those right conditions right now. So I think you have to be really cautious. I know, look, they're, they're, they're well capitalised at this stage, but I can't, you can see, look at the trend there. I just can't buy that. Yeah. Um, this, it's got, there's so many things that need to happen with the trends, the price section, and of course the candlesticks before I could upgrade it to a buy. I'm really, like Michael said, he said it's hard to call it a hold and he wants to call it a sell. And I, look, as much as I, I think there's some promise within the actual business, the chart looks so bad, I just have to go sell. So, okay. you know, if, if you're really committed to it, maybe you can hold it, but I think you're going to continue to suffer here, unfortunately. All right. Uh, our third stock, uh, as asked for by by you viewing, uh, Jared wants a view on Terracom, the coal producer. Um, um, coal stocks through the roof last year, then fell out of favour with the fall in the coal price. Um, now people are getting back on the bandwagon, Carl. Mm. What do what do the charts say? Do you? No, the charts say that it's not time to get back on the bandwagon. And I, I hear the rhetoric, I hear the chatter because I do on Tuesdays. I do um, a, a, a webinar, and anybody yeah, yeah. can turn up. And I get I get asked about these coal stocks, and there's a lot of chatter there. And I look at the charts. And I say, hmm, I'm not sure where you're all getting this from because the charts are still very much pointing down. There's the Terracom chart there. Uh, it's in a very well established downtrend, and it's reflecting, of course, the chart of your Newcastle Thermal Coal, which uh, actually looks very much like that. I, I, you can almost um, superimpose the two. Uh, and of course, the, there is one uh, theory or argument that, okay, well, coal prices are still very high historically. And they are at about $130 a tonne. You know, the, the long-term average is about 80 But the trend is still down there. And, and I can't see any um, end in that downtrend. The momentum is still very good to the downside. I'm talking about coal prices here. I could see us getting back to that long-term trend around 80 Okay, I think, right. you know, the, the market is very well supplied. There's plenty of coal being produced. Um, and I think some of the, the factors um, which cause that acute shock to the system, obviously, the war in Ukraine, that they've dissipated. We've gone to more to a normal market. So why shouldn't pricing be more normal? Long story short, no. Look, I mean, this is one I talked about, if you remember, Koshi, we yes. talked, you and I talked about this one through April, May, I think last year. I think yep. maybe even I you might have bought some. I, you might have I did some take your advice <laughs> and I took your advice to get out as well. <laughs> to get out as well. And look, that was it. And once once, once we got out um, pretty much around those highs, we haven't looked at it again. Okay. So it hasn't been a reason to. And I don't think you need to own this right now. I'm going to go sell. Okay. Well, you look on the ticker at the bottom of the screen, you hope up 3%. I just saw Whitehaven a little earlier up 2.5% today. So that chatter is getting louder and louder. And what about the argument, though, against your charts, Carl, that with coal stocks, um, your charts don't show the dividend that's being paid out because they're paying massive, massive dividends. Correct. You're absolutely, absolutely correct. That is a factor. And that's going to push um, some of the chart up a little bit. But even when I adjust for that, the, the momentum is right. not there yet. But don't get okay. me wrong. I'm not a coal bear or I don't hate coal or I'm not trying to shout down the other side of the equation. I'll jump on their bandwagon, Koshi. I'll happily jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. I'll be the biggest coal bull you've ever met yep. when the trend starts to go up. Okay. I don't mind. Look, Just look at Whitehaven. I don't mind. I could certainly squeak in at a hold on that. I think that's where you want to go if, if your thesis is right. And my thesis at the moment is wrong. Um, and New Hope looks pretty good as well. looks okay. okay. But the, the question was asked about Terracom. I think Terracom yeah, yeah. is certainly... Area out of these three, I wouldn't be owning that one. Okay, Michael, are you on the coal bandwagon? Yeah. You're back on it. I missed out last year. I sort of watched it with envy, and right. every second person was telling you how much you <laughs> needed to hold coal, and and they were definitely right for a long period. But things have definitely moderated. 
as it turned out, the northern winter, particularly in Europe, was a lot warmer than yep. many people were expecting. Uh, and that put a lot of pressure on the coal price because there was a lot of supply globally. The demand just simply wasn't there given the, the slightly yep. more warm conditions than, than usual. Uh, but again, that might change. However, we're still you know, a few months away again from the, the European countries cooling down. So that's one thing to keep in mind. This will ultimately follow the coal price up and down. And after an extremely bullish period, uh, the coal price went into reverse. So that's just one thing always to consider with these price takers. Uh, as you point out, though, they are paying very good dividends. Terracom specifically is located in Queensland. Queensland have implemented a whole series of taxes on coal mines. So if Terracom was situated in, in WA, for instance, it might yeah. have helped the share price a little bit more, just given those, that commentary coming out of the the state government in Queensland. However, it's everything's still... everything's better in WA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. The on the mines. Right, it, it, it is funny we're, when we're, we're going to beat we're going to bid for the Commonwealth Games. Gosh, you do hear that? Oh, as <laughs> no, Mar- there's talk. There's talk. There's oh, talk okay. Well, you, you've got the dough, um, uh, and you can run a big "Give us more GST" campaign um, across the. Uh, uh, I think we do all right. Of I think we do all right yeah. out of GST. Yeah, yeah I course. think you do too, but that doesn't stop the whinging sometimes. But um, <laughs> Michael? So, yeah, I'm going to go on Terracom. I'm just going to go a sell. And yeah. um, if I did look to re-enter the, the coal trade, I'll probably start by focusing on some of those bigger names and Carl touched upon a couple. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, next stop, let's go back to uh, back to supermarkets. Uh, Daniel, Michael wants a view on Woolworths. Yes, so Woolworths and Coles for that matter, um, it's been an interesting dynamic at the moment because on one hand you've got inflation being passed through, so prices are up I think around 7-8% for Coles and Woolworths for that matter. Um, However, the volume growth is pretty anemic. I think volume growth across the grocery space is up about 1% and the population has been 2%, so it gives you a bit of a picture of where things are at at the moment. Uh, Woolworths, along with Coles, they've seen a big shift into some of their homeware products or home branded products. Um, Woolworths dominates the market of market share of about 36 or 38%. Coles is about 28% and then Audi at about 9% of the market. So Woolworths is in a pretty strong position relative to its peers. It trades on a big premium relative to Coles and Metcash. Mm. It's a bit like Commonwealth Bank in that respect. Um, There is no margin expansion expected over the next couple of years. That's from the market at least. I think management of Woolworths are talking about driving different efficiencies um, and that's despite increasing headcount and increasing wages. So look, for mine, I find it very difficult to get excited about Woolworths, particularly given its valuation premium and just given that uncertain environment that we're in where people are changing their basket mix considerably and it's hard to get a read of how that will land at the moment. So the lack of volume growth, I think, is of concern. Uh, but you know, you're probably not going to see Woolworths collapse either in this environment, given they're going to be beneficiaries of price increases coming through from inflation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go hold, but I'm not overly excited on the and outlook. and and same with Coles. Yeah, Coles is probably a hold too. Okay, um, Carl, what do you think of Woolies? I think Michael makes a really important point about how well they've done out of inflation and how they might struggle on that point in the future. And there is an argument out there, and I don't want to get sued, right, but there is an argument out there that uh, companies like Woolworths, like Coles, have caused much of this inflation. Uh, There's an argument out there that they're profiteering. It's not my argument, Koshi, I'm just saying that they're profiteering and gouging, unfortunately, has made it very hard for the Reserve Bank and and that is probably responsible for many of us paying higher mortgages. And I think some of that bad PR and some of that backlash may um, just stymie some of companies like Woolworths, companies mm. like Coles, stymie their ability to continue to, um, some people call it, not me, of course, uh, gouge uh, and profiteer from this. Uh, and with um, that in mind, I'm with Michael. Look, I think um, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a great value um, proposition as well. You're paying about 27 times earnings, which for the last 18 months has been justified by this argument that um, it's, 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 it's defensive. Uh, and therefore, in, a, in, a, in an uncertain environment, it justifies that valuation. If our thesis, which we expressed at the start of this um, show, is that markets are going to be better 
down the track, then I think it will start to lose some of that attractiveness as a defensive play. Uh, so, look, I'll, I'll sque- I'm squeaking in at a, at a halt because the chart is still uh, reasonably good. The, the long-term trend is intact, but the short-term trend is turning down. Okay. All right, our next stock uh, for all the fitness and health nuts out there is uh, Viva Leisure. Um, owns um, obviously in the health and leisure industry with uh, fitness facilities like Club Line, Ladies Only, uh, Swim School, uh, Gym PT, whole bunch of different brands. Um, so for the fitness uh, freaks, maybe attractive for investors. Is it attractive, Carl? I think it's very attractive. I mean, it's it, they, they obviously had a tough time during yes. COVID. I mean, we, you, know, you don't need to um, explain how hard it would be to run a business like a gym when you've got all sorts of restrictions and then extra costs involved of, of sanitising and, and precautionary measures. Uh, but... I do like the business. I think um, they have bounced back well. They're uh, back to sort of uh, pre-COVID on many, many of their metrics as well. They're just probably lagging in terms of maybe um, some of their uh, occupancy uh, utilisation. I was trying to think what the, the property trusts call it occupancy. These guys call it utilisation. Um, it looks really, really cheap. You know, with the brokers are these, again, not my numbers, Thomson Reuters uh, numbers here. Brokers are expecting uh, current earnings, uh, FY23, which let's face it, are largely in the bag. We're just waiting for them to tell us. Uh, seven cents. Uh, next year, 11 cents. Mm. That's a big jump, seven to 11. Uh, FY25, uh, we're up to 16 cents. So we're, they're expecting uh, earnings to double over the next two years and then 24 cents in FY26. And of course, anything can happen. But we're talking a 50% compound annual growth rate for the next three years and you'd expect to pay it an astronomical PE wouldn't you the PE is currently 18 but FY26 if the brokers are right not my numbers if the brokers are right the PE will be six Um, so it looks crazy crazy cheap Um, my price target came in at 213 based upon my spreadsheet valuation and the brokers have a price target of 270 so automatically double like double double I'm not kidding I mean I wish I could show you Thomson Reuters Refinitiv Icon but then you go to the chart (laughs) I go to the chart I'm so I'm so (laughs) no I go to the chart no I love it (laughs) And so it's something I will keep an eye on. The right. chart isn't there yet. The chart's not awful. It's trying to break out. Maybe if we can get the chart on screen, it's trying to break out of a really long-term downtrend that's yep. been there since COVID. Um, if it starts to pick up through 140, I could get interested in this one. But for okay. look, now hold it, but we're waiting to see those that momentum change to buy. Mm, fascinating. All right, Michael. Yeah, I'd never really come across this business before, and I wasn't even too familiar with a lot of their brands either, but they cover that whole uh, wellness and fitness and health Mm. space uh, comprehensively. They've got over 350,000 members. Um, I'm not entirely sure if they're all paying or how it works. I understand there's a big corporate component, whether you know you work for a company, you automatically get a membership for one of their facilities. Um, Then there's about half corporate, half sort of um, retail customer types. Um, it's a franchisee, franchisor model as well, which often can complicate things. They do carry a fair bit of debt on their balance sheet relative to revenue and also especially when you're losing money and earnings are negative, that can be a little bit of an issue for the market. But ostensibly, it does look very, very cheap. And the m- most recent set of numbers and the guidance and update provided recently looked pretty good. And obviously they're cycling through a tough period with COVID. So those numbers are probably inflated relative to those depressed COVID figures. Uh, but if you're a deep value investor, this is potentially one that you might wanna turn your attention to and really pick mm. through the weeds. Okay. However, um, I'm not confident enough at this stage to oh, buy. Michael. <laughs> because so, I don't understand the company well so enough. you got us to the cliff. And I need to put in a lot more time before right, I come on okay. Ausbiz <laughs> next time. <laughs> And do my homework better. So, but, um, so it's, it's on your watch, Lucy. Well, it's it's one cut. worth looking into because it does look cheap. The recovery numbers look quite good. One right. little bit of concern is the amount of debt that they have built up yep. in recent years. Because if you've got a lot of debt and you're not free cash flow positive and you've not got yep. no earnings and the debt's just, yep. you know, you're yeah, just yeah, paying interest point. on it. So I need to really understand that. Also, yeah. the dynamic of their members. Are they paying members? A lot of them just corporate. Right type members um, and, and yeah. 
and the franchisee-franchisor relationship there. So similar outcome to Carl, hold or watch? I'm happy to give it a hold just because it looks very cheap and does seem to be forming a base. Okay, all right. Uh, let's recap the uh, the first five stock stock of the day. Uh, Macquarie, uh, hold from Carl, buy from Michael. Uh, Hub24, a hold from both. Um, and uh, just... Uh, Carl's just waiting for some momentum to uh, to come into the um, uh, into the into the chart there. Uh, Sea Resources a sell from Carl, a hold from Michael, sell from both on Terracom. Woolies a hold from both, and um, Viva Leisure, which uh, surprised me that uh, both were sort of warmish on it. Um, Charter hasn't picked up. If it gets above a dollar forty. That's a good sign, according to Carl, to, to look at it. Um, but has bounced back a bit. All the issues in the gyms and health space industry at the moment, they seem to be holding up all right. Um, here on the call, we've been following our own high conviction uh, fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. The most recent, the July investment committee meeting is live on the platform osbiz.com for you to take a look at and sort of follow the thinking of the, the team there. Uh, that July meeting uh, took their profits on Boss Energy and replaced it with Paladin, another uranium play uh, out of Kelsian and dabbling in the early stages of uh, maybe a retail recovery and put LaVisa into the portfolio. Um, it is up 7% at, as we speak. Uh, this half hour, um, talking about Bluescope still, Immutep, um, Ecofiber, EVT, EV. I hadn't come across it before. I thought, oh, here's someone coming into EV vehicles. No, it's an older no. company that has just changed its name and sort of blindsided us all. Uh, and Magellan Global Fund. All right, uh, Carl Michael wants a view on Blue Scope Steel. Yes, a thoroughly fascinating juncture that Blue Scope finds itself at. I mean, it's uh, it's done so well in the USA. Uh, it's got a, a North American plant over there that's um, just enjoyed the most amazing uh, run in terms of uh, steel spreads. And that is contrasted with the fact that demand from China continues to uh, decline and be very, very weak. And the chart kind of reflects that. You can see the chart is just hovering in the middle, isn't it? It's just yep. trying to decide, uh, do I go up based upon the fact that the US economy probably, dare I say, is going to be in a soft landing situation, as far as we can tell. The housing market is picking up over there. Uh, watch lumber prices. Lumber prices are a great indicator of what's happening in the US housing market, and they have got a rocket under them over the last month or so, okay? Um, we have we know James Hardy's doing well, for example. Um, and then we know we're waiting for that stimulus from China. Uh, and the the data we had this week was, was very soft in that regard. And there are major, major problems there to solve. I'm not sure... Uh, just even dropping rates is going to help out or just extending, yeah. kicking the can. Because all they've done so far with the developers is kick the can down the road and give them, giving them a moratorium of one year on paying back uh, debts. Uh, so look, I don't know. I don't know on the fundamental side, on the, va on the sorry, on sort of on the, on the whether I like the business side, you know. In terms of the valuation, the valuation isn't great. The PE appears to be super low, but earnings are expected to contract over the next three or five. So where we talked about the, the amazing growth in, say, Hub that the brokers are predicting, in Viva Leisure that the brokers are predicting, this company is more like an 8% contraction, compound annual growth rate of minus 8% over the next three Ys, three oh. FYs. So earnings are expected to fall. Uh, and that justifies the low PE. So I don't think there's sort of a, a value buy here either. So with the chart very sideways, um, the, the the fundamental outlook uncertain um, and the valuation not great. Oh, you expect me to say sell here, wouldn't you? Uh, look, yeah. I, I'm going to squeak in at a hold. I'm just going to okay. squeak in and hold. The, there is just enough in the chart to, to hold it. But if it breaks below, watch this level. If it breaks below 19, I think the China story is taking over. Um, if it breaks above 21 and a half, I think the US story is taking over. Right. Until then, hold. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, Michael Bluescope, famous for its colour bond. That's right. Um, which is a great brand. James Hardy came up yesterday and with both um, Rudy Philippic Van Dyke and, yep. and Philip Pepper and gave them 
both go James Hardy a hold, but buy on weakness. Uh, buy James Hardy. We we, yeah. we own that one. Yeah, right. we've owned it for for since about the low thirties. So right. I'm happy to to buy that okay. one. Yeah, our preference would be for James Hardy over Blue Scope just to, to start yeah, off. The same, right? Okay. With a bang. Right, um, that's interesting. Blue Scope was a business that almost went into administration a few years ago. They had an enormous amount of debt. They did a share consolidation. Never since then, management have done a tremendous job. It's been, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, yeah. Um, they uh, held by a great steel price though. It's a great steel price. <laughs> and they've sort of refocused the business away from sort of that traditional steel into more yeah. fabricated steel for yeah, home the building. Color yeah. The color bond, the flat sort of steel business in the US um, has been doing incredibly well. And they benefited immensely from the big housing boom that was experienced not only in Australia, but globally. Mm -hmm. um, management themselves have come out and suggested that those conditions most certainly won't be replicated again this year, and hence why the brokers are, right. are marking down earnings in the outer years. I just really struggle to get my head around how a little Aussie steel business can compete globally, because it's a very capital intensive business. There's enormous competitors um, coming out of China and, and the low cost jurisdictions throughout Asia. So they've done a great job in these recent times to make the most of the situation that's at hand. But it's hard to forget what got them into the big issues originally. And that was the big glut of steel that was in the market yeah. going back, I think it was five, probably 10 years ago almost yep. now. So it's hard to, to really get attached to this one on a quality perspective. Um, but they've done a, a great job. But going forward from here, it's going to be all about the China story, whether that big stimulus package ever does transpire, um, but also the recovery in US housing. And so far, the new home starts has been trending lower now for a, a mm. six, 12 months. It's probably what you would expect. However, if we do start to get an improved interest rate outlook, uh, you might start to see that pick up again. But the problem is in the US, the way that interest rates work is they're fixed over the lifetime of the loan. It's, a lot of people aren't moving homes at the yeah. moment because they don't want to be hit up with the higher interest rate. So it's unlikely that people will be moving into new homes and building from scratch unless they you know, do redo their own homes. Right. So new housing starts in the US is, is being trending lower. So I'd be careful and just keep watching that figure as well. But for now, I'm just going to go sell, I think, okay. on Blue Scope just because I think there are better alternatives elsewhere. Uh, and I am worried about that outlook for the US housing market in terms of new starts. Prices, not so much, but it's just the amount of activity that's playing out. And both prefer uh, James Hardy in that sector anyhow. Um, let's, uh, Martin wants a view, Michael, on Immutep, a biotech company uh, in cancer and autoimmune disease therapies. Um, yeah, so one of these biotech companies that is going through various stages of trials for different um, products that they're looking to bring to market. They've recently um, raised a whole chunk of money. So that's a, a good start, which will help them get through the next different stages. Um, need to fund those. Look, I'm not a massive investor in these types of businesses. They tend to be very volatile, binary outcomes, all the things you've heard before. So for that reason, unless you're a, a real specialist in this space and you've really sat down and really got to understand the target market and how the business is going about gaining approvals, you really are speculating. And from my standpoint, it's just not exactly the, what we do. So, so there's a bit of a knowledge gap there, I must admit as well, with a lot of these um, scientific and, and different, yep. um, yeah, different types of companies. So from my standpoint, I'm gonna go a hold if you know a lot about the business because you might get a positive right. um, series of updates that might send the share price flying. Yeah. Uh, Carl, it's often been described to me these biotechs as a bit like uh, explorers, resource explorers. You know, there's promises, promises, sort of results of testing, and then mm. it's a lot different bringing it to market, either building a mine or selling it once it's approved. Yeah, no, biotech. that's a that's a, that's a very good analogy, and there's lots of um, 
parallels we can draw there. So if you've got a mining company, the most important thing is that they've, they've got enough cash to keep yep. going. Because if they don't have cash, they've got to issue another billion shares, right? You could just get diluted. So these guys have plenty of cash. They've just done a capital raising. It was well received by the, the funds that already own, own it. Many of them took it up. They won't have to raise the cash probably until 2026. Okay, so big tick there. With your mining companies, preferably they're doing something, right? They're drilling somewhere. There's some results coming because let's face it, without results, they're not going up. With uh, your biotech companies, the parallel is you want them to have some trials going, preferably late stage trials. And Imutep is all over that. So in terms of late stage trials, they've got head and neck, uh, squamous cell carcinoma, goshy. Right. I'm sh- that's late stage, okay? <laughs> Phase three on non-small cell lung cancer, uh, HNSCC PD-X refractory 2L, Koshi, NSCLC. Now, I've, I've, that's that's phase th- phase two, um, the rest of the phase. Look, they've, they've got a few going. There's another one there, uh, breast cancer one, that's late stage. Okay, so we could get some approvals, we could get some news flow. That's the key there. Um, now, I've been analysing uh, these biotech companies for over 20 years, Koshi, and I've come to think of myself as pretty good as understanding a lot of the jargon. I've never seen anything like this. This is off the charts. I could not break into this. There were just too many acronyms and and stuff I didn't understand, like like didendritic cells. Gosh, I'm giving you an example here. Antigen presenting, you know, I mean, off the charts. So I'm not going to claim to be an expert on the content here, but unlike Michael, for me, I don't honestly, I don't care what the company does most of the time. I just want to know if the chart's going up, um, and it is starting to go up. So for me, and this is my style of investing, I'm not saying this is for everybody. I would happily buy some of this now. I'm not going to this throw the house. So this is a pure speculative buy. All right, so be sensible with your allocation. But I'm going to buy it on the basis that chart is turning up, short-term trends, long-term trends, all turning around. The candlesticks are starting to look good, and they've got a bunch of stuff in the mix which could drive the share price forward. If it um, if it went to zero, I'm not going to lose sleep because I'm not going to bet the farm on it. But I'm ha- I'm a happy buyer here. Okay, yeah, that that's interesting. Another one, it you've got to get your timing right, don't you? To yes, when it gets approvals and it can go to market. Um, but the charts reflect that. So the chart is going yeah. up. It's not going up for no reason. It's going up on the anticipation that those um, approvals are imminent. Now. If they come to fruition, obviously, that's yeah. going to be great for the chart. If, if they don't, the chart will go down. But that's not why we're not allocating a huge amount to this. We're dipping a toe in the water here. It's interesting. Um, we're discussing this the other day uh, with Bathan and Gorev, and um, they were talking about medical developments with the green whistle, um, mm-hmm. the pain whistle, which has had issues getting through the FDA in America and all that sort of stuff. And now there's talk that it might be getting closer to that. And I put I put a buyout on that during the week, Goshi. Oh, did you? Ah, oh. yeah, it's starting to turn up. Charts looking good. Yes, no, I've <laughs> see, I've i caught the bug because I've just brought. I thought, oh, I wonder what the chart for medical developments is doing. And uh, and only in the last what month that it started to turn up and come around again. So yep. All right. Those, uh, it's the Twitter shortlist, Goshi. It's okay. All right. Uh, on our, yes, follow Carl on Twitter. Good plug for it. Uh, our eighth <laughs> stock, uh, Pete wants to view Carl on Ecofiber, the uh, the hemp business, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I'll save us some time. Uh, this, this, this is uninvestable. The, the <laughs> right. chart is horrific. Uh, there's no money left in the bank. Um, and let's just leave it there. Okay. Michael? Yeah. Look, I'm not the. <laughs> The go-to medical cannabis um, analyst, unfortunately. Look at that for a chart. They obviously had their moment in the sun going back a few years when there was an influx of these types of businesses coming to market and and taking advantage of that sentiment and optimism that was around at the time. Unfortunately, in the case of most of them, they have charts that look very similar to that. So so just avoid. I think it's one of those you know sectors where yeah, sure, over time there will be a greater adoption of these sorts of treatments. But at the moment, the industry is so fragmented, it's just difficult to work out who the winners are going to be. Yeah. There needs to be a lot more consolidation before you start to get a bit more clarity on the companies that are going to emerge winners out of this. So yeah, a sell for mine. Okay. Uh, our next stop, Michael, um, is uh, from Abby, who wanted to view on EVT. And I thought, oh, here's uh, someone started a business with 
electric vehicles in it, but no, it's event hospitality and entertainment rename themselves. Um, that's far yeah. from EV vehicles. Uh, it's cinemas, uh, Greater Union cinemas, event cinemas, Ridges hotels, QT hotels. They own the Threadbow Alpine Alpine Village, so that that real hospitality sector. Yeah, so a bit of a box of all sorts, this company, mm. uh, diversified offering, They've, as you touched upon, Ridges Hotels, Threadbow, they've got a series of bars and restaurants, cinemas, the, the Sydney State Theatre, for instance. So yeah, a lot of interesting, more old world yeah. in, um, entertainment And a bit in Germany venues. as well, not a just A bit in Australia Germany too. The interesting thing about this business is they sit on a lot of property. Um, a lot of high quality property in good locations. So a, and they own it. They own the property and they've so done a lot a property of property play. The property play. They've done some developments in, in recent times. You know, the George Street cinemas, for instance, is, is one example of that to unlock the retail space, hotels. And if you actually look at the valuation of the properties, it's actually worth more than the market cap. So they've got right. about two billion dollars worth of property on their balance sheet. These are according to events numbers themselves. And you can't argue with them too much, to be honest, given the location and the conservative nature yep. in which these things tend to be valued. Um, yet the share price is probably trading below, yeah, that, that sort of valuation of their properties. So look, given it's a, a pretty well family owned business, um, obviously it's listed, but the majority owners family, the business is controlled by a particular family. It is run fairly conservatively you're unlikely to be able to go in there and disrupt and get them to unlock the value of those properties. Yep. But if you take an extremely long-term view, you would think that at some point in the future, you might get a bit of valuation or uplift um, from that. But the market's probably penalizing the business for being ultra conservative, for being so tightly held. And that's probably why it trades on such a, a big discount to what many other businesses would in the space. But Look, ultimately in the short term, the problem is earnings are very much driven by what's going on in the cinemas business. Cinemas were in structural decline, maybe going back five years or so. I think we all know that story by now. Um, and people in many ways are gravitating back towards the cinemas uh, yeah. as sort of that holistic experience. You can get a pretty comfortable seat, well, decent Tom Cruise food. has got everyone back. Yeah, well, that, and this is the Top thing. Gun and Mission Impossible. There's all these new blockbusters coming out, Oppenheimer as yeah. well. So they are at the mercy to some extent to what's going on in Hollywood with the quality of the new movies that come to, to the market, but they're also competing with the likes of say Disney. I think Disney, for instance, have their movies in the cinema for like less than a week before they end up going on to their streaming service. So it is a challenging space, um, but overall quite interesting because it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm gonna go hold. Okay, Carl? I agree. A really interesting business for me. I've covered it a few times on the show. And, and the thing that I have to keep coming back to is that the cinema's business is actually only about 15% of net profit now. So that, that hotel's business has grown to 85% of the portfolio. That's probably hence the name name change, because I think before it was something to do with um, cinemas, wasn't it, before? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very different business now. And so I think this is more of a bet on where you think um, domestic travel is going to go. So maybe it needs to be thought of more with the travel stocks than um, sort of a a discretionary, well, it's still discretionary, isn't it? Then, then well, more travel than cinemas, okay? Uh, but Threadbow's kicking goals. I mean, a record result. So smashing pre-COVID levels at Threadbow, very impressive. You know, Ridges is, is, is coming good again. They're getting close to pre-COVID there. Um, and cinemas bouncing back as well. The valuation looks reasonable. It looks reasonable. Mm. I know it's it's trading on a bit of a high PE, 25 times. And ordinarily go, mm, 25 times a bit high. But again, Thomson Reuters consensus numbers, um, Earnings this year, 44 cents. If I fast forward three years, earnings are going to be 86 cents, Koshi. Mm. Earnings are expected to double in the next three years. It's a 25% compound annual growth rate. So I think it justifies that PE. You're paying 13 times FY26 earnings, but you have to get there. That's the trick. Um, my price target, 1216. Broker's price target, get this, over $15. Wow. So why, yeah, are you, so why, are you, why are you so miserly? Uh, no, well, I'd say I've got a sp my spreadsheet has the formulas, and then I don't yep. doubt doubt what the spreadsheet right, tells me. Okay. okay, that's 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 my fundamental analysis. <laughs> um, but the the chart is terrible. It looks awful, and I can't reconcile why I think it's going really well, and the valuation looks good, and then the chart looks. Look at that! I can't yeah. buy that. 
Um, and maybe it's to do with the fact it is so tightly held and funds just go, look, I can't be a buyer, I can't be on the demand side. Uh, and in the, in the vacuum of that, it doesn't do well. And you know, But I kind of get to this point and I'm quite happy that I have my approach, which is, you know, I, I don't want to be that person that goes, oh, this is the best stock ever and then go buy it and then watch it go down for, for 18 yeah. months and be frustrated yeah. and pick the wrong one. So, look, I, I can't even go hold on this and I'm reluctant to do this, but I have to say sell because the chart just looks that bad. Okay. All right, our final stock, Carl. Uh, John wants a view on Magellan Global Fund. Now, this is this is different to the management group, isn't it? Listed oh, on yes, the market. of course. So we've got it's to make a, that differentiation. Yeah, it's one of their, their funds that funds, they manage. Yep. Uh, and there's two or three of them off the top of my head. Uh, but I think this this one looks pretty good, uh, as in from, from a technical pers- perspective. Uh, it's obviously going up. It's turned around. But it makes sense because, you know, 6% of the portfolio is in Microsoft. Right. 5.5% in Amazon. 4% is in Apple. Okay. So we started the show talking about how just, you know, seven stocks have, you know, controlled yeah. most of this rally. And, well, they, they own um, chunks of those. But they've got other stocks like Lowe's, you know, very diverse vibe, you know, retailer in the US, uh, SAP is a technology company. They've got Visa. I think Visa looks amazing. Um, uh, Visa and MasterCard. MasterCard's probably my pick of the two. I actually ran that. Um, yeah. It might have been in my Friday spot or my Wednesday spot, spot with Kyle. It's one of my top picks in the US at the moment. So if Visa and MasterCard look good, what does that tell you about the global economy? It's not as bad as you think. Um, ASML, which is a semiconductor stock off the top of my head, uh, Intuit, Yum Brands, Intercontinental, the, the top. That's about um, 43% of the portfolio. So when you go into one of these vehicles, I think the best, the first thing you need to do is go to the website and see what they're owning. And then you need to say, well, am I comfortable owning that in this investment? Uh, And maybe you already own Microsoft, Koshi. And then mm. you'll go, oh, okay, well, if I'm buying this, I'm actually getting some more more than I thought. Um, 22% in information technology, 11% in restaurants, uh, 10% in consumer defensive, and the, the list goes on, 50% in the US. I'm just trying to give viewers yep. a perspective on how to understand it. Now, my model is, I reckon I'm better than these guys. And I reckon that I'll be able to pick stocks that will outperform their portfolio. That's right. that's the way I operate. If if not for that, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, you're a pro. So I, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think no, no you're a pretty, professional chart, investor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my charts are pretty good. So uh, on that, if, if you're just looking for exposure to the US, I think you can do it in better ways. But purely on the basis of the, of the chart, I can actually buy this thing because it actually right. looks that good. But it looks okay. good because all the other stuff looks good. Um, and Michael, better to buy this than stocks in the management company. I would say so. Um, <laughs> the global fund chart is very different to Magellan Financial. Very different proposition. Yep. I admire Magellan, obviously, what they've been able to build over 15 yep. years or so. Um, however, it just shows you the perils of when you become too big, things become a bit yep. more challenging, harder to outperform consistently. This particular instrument, so MF, MGF, sorry, is a listed investment company. Yep. It's trading at a 13% discount to NTA. Listed investment companies are struggling big time at the moment. I don't think there's many, if any, that trade at a premium, oh. um, except for maybe some of the WAM products. So look, if you, could, you can basically buy a dollar's worth of investment for 90 cents. Right. If you have a hope that over time that discount will close. Because investor sentiment is that, oh, the market's going to fall That's off a right. cliff. And it's not. If I was to buy this particular Magellan product, they've actually got a, a listed investment or, or managed an ETMF. So basically, uh, actively managed ETF. Right. And that trades under the code MGOC, and that trades at NAV, basically. Ah. And that's exactly the same portfolio, exactly the same product, just slightly different, well, slightly different structured. So you've got to take into account the LIC, you'll get franking credits and these sorts right. of things when in the trust you won't, but at least you won't have the, the worry of a massive discount NTA emerging. Um, if I was to pick a international fund manager, Magellan wouldn't be on the list at the moment. Right. They suffered the last couple of years from being overweight tech. They've recently benefited on the yep. other side as tech's recovered. But there are a number of ETFs you can buy just for that passive exposure, as well as a, a good you know few um, unlisted fund managers to give you international okay. exposure. So for mine, I'm going to go a whole just because I think it'll do all right, but I, I wouldn't buy this particular international exposure. Okay. I'll buy something else. All right, let's recap the uh, uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Blue Scope is a sell from Michael, a hold from Carl. Just watch that 
uh, $19 mark. If it falls below that, that's in trouble. Uh, Immutep, uh, speculative buy from uh, from Carla Hold, from Michael. Um, Ecofiber, uh, a no from both. Um, Carl calls it uninvestable. Uh, EBT, the old event and hospitality, uh, no from Carl Holt, from Michael and Magellan Global, a yes from Carl, although he thinks if if you follow a professional sort of analyst like Carl, you can do better by picking <laughs> individual stocks and a hold from Michael as well. Carl Kapalinga from ThinkMark, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you, sir. Enjoy the always. rest of the week. Always great to be on board. Thanks for having me. Uh, Michael Wayne from uh, Fairmont. Good to see you, mate. Thank from Medallion. Uh, Medallion, sorry. <laughs> Medallion. Uh, Get confused with Michael a bit. Um, that's all we have time for the show. If you've got any stocks for us to cover, um, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks and list them there or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. A lot to get through today. Run out of time. See you same time tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.